One, two, three, go. Welcome, Guardians. It's May 7th and 8th, 2017, and you're listening to Ghost Stories, a Destiny podcast. This is episode 50, and we're continuing our deep dive into the Vault of Glass and all the mysteries and lore within. In the last episodes, we talked about uh, those who came before their tragic, the tragic story of uh, Kabir and his fire team, and this week, we're opening the vault ourselves. But first, we're going to clear some things up from the last episode and let Drop chase his white whale of a <laughs> white whale a bit. <laughs> so, <laughs> so this week I am Drax Ray. Hmm. Interesting. And with me I've got Drop Lord. What's up? I know. I had to pick the name that matched your handle. We had this conversation in the Slack. <laughs> we're all we're all actually Rocket, but. <laughs> <laughs> But I had to choose. We needed different names. Uh, yeah, how's it going? I, here, I'll ask you first. How's how's your week going? You built you built a tiny little house for yourself. I'm working of. on it. Yeah, yeah. So, as I've mentioned probably before, I, I record in my garage just to get away from the house, so I don't bother people when they're sleeping, and and just kind of my little place. Well, I decided to make a closet around my desk. And I've got a little bit of an echo still. I've got to finish it up. But I'm, I'm kind of making a sound room um, just so that I can record this and some other stuff I've got planned for the future that I've kind of been hinting about in our, uh, in our Slack. Um, but I'm, I'm basically making myself a little sound room just because I can and I want to do it. So, yeah, other than that, I've, I mean, the weather here has been crappy. I'm in Missouri. If you haven't been keeping up with the news, we've been flooding. I've had to take, oh my gosh, it's been terrible. Um, my normal 40-minute commute to work uh, was an hour and a half or more every day um, because I had to go about 15 miles just to get to the highway that I normally take to work, and then... It was the the Highway 44, and then in towards St. Louis, the highway was shut down. So I actually had to take some. I had to take a whole bunch of back roads that everyone had to because 44 was shut down. It was a mess. Um, but the roads are all opening back up, and everything's kind of getting back to normal. And I did my good deed. I went and helped sandbag um, around some businesses and and houses in our town. Uh, a couple of them still got water in them, but. I, I tried. It was, you know, felt felt good. It was nice to get out there and help. So I definitely, if if you can, you know, and have the the means, get out there and help people that need it when you can. So, but other than that, I, not a lot. Just uh, just been been fighting the weather and and driving driving a lot. <laughs> um, what about you? What have you been up to? Uh I mean, I spent the past week and a half sort of recovering from the last episode and and charting the direction for this one. So I've been working on show notes. Uh, I've also been volunteering at one of my local game stores uh, here in Oakland. Uh, I'll give them a shout out. It's called uh, It's Your Move. They're a little locally owned game store. And they basically provide a play space uh, and lots and lots of like game and board game rentals. So if, like if you wanted to go play board games with a friend, you could go there and either use their tables or like pick a game up. They have a massive wall of board games and you can just go in and like pick one. And for two bucks, you can be like, Oh, I'm going to try out this new game and just 
hang out and play it and learn how to play it. Uh, but it's all locally run. Yeah, it's been there for a long time. And I stumbled in there because I was looking for magic card singles just because I still collect magic cards. Uh, and they have thousands and thousands and thousands of them because their people donate their cards to the shop, but they don't have anybody who works there who organizes any of them. Uh, so while I was like sorting through cards, I started just sort of organizing them because that's what I do. Uh, and it turns out on Wednesdays, the woman who owns the store actually invites kids from like, from like fourth grade to sixth or seventh grade, uh, to come into the shop and help her sort through the cards. And then she pays them in magic cards. So it's like a first job for them where they get to go like do something they love and they get paid in cards. They can pick out the cards they like as they're sorting through them. So I sort of jumped in on that. Uh, but I do what I always did. And now I'm building them a database of magic cards and I'm going to sort through the tens of thousands they have. And I've been arranging them like alphabetically by type, by color, like by expansion, sort of creating an organized system for them. So that's been like a fun, a fun thing to do for me just as a, an exercise in data organization, which I kind of love. Cool. Also it's, it's crazy that like 25 years later, uh, or 20 years later, there are still kids who are super excited to play Magic the Gathering. Like, it's nuts to me. I had my first job when I was 15. I worked in a comic shop that also sold Magic cards. So that was that is so long ago. <laughs> that is like the, the early 90s I was doing that. And it's amazing that now, like 2017, like I'm talking with these kids who are like, this is my favorite card. I'm so excited about the new expansion. They're just like so amped about it. What, what an amazing testament to, to how sort of great that game is and, and how it's continued to stay relevant. That's awesome. So, yeah, we had, a, we had a shop here in town that uh, hosted game nights and they had you know different, different card games or board games every week. And, uh, and they just shut down recently. I was kind of bummed about that. I, not that I went there and frequented it, but you know, seeing stuff like that 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 always looks lively and busy, and and then it's just not there anymore is kind of kind of a crapper. But yeah, there's some crazy board games out there right now. Uh, I was there on Friday. Friday is their open game night, and there was a Magic draft going on. And there was a bunch of people playing a Star Wars role playing game. And there was a bunch of people playing a game where you would basically take on the identity of a kaiju and trying to destroy Tokyo. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> that that was crazy. There's a game of there's like a weird campaign about being a bunch of dwarves, I think it was, and like the crazy adventures they were going on. There was a D&D group. It was just like it's it was so cool to see so many different people playing so many different kinds of games. Yeah, I uh, I always I whenever you started talking about that, I was thinking back to uh to when we had Seth on and he was talking about that that Star Wars like ship game he was playing oh yeah, yeah yeah yep. yeah i think i saw i think the other day i happened across a uh a, this board that was gigantic that somebody was playing that same game on but it was like it looked like a gigantic um oh like a a, a conference room table that was just mm-hmm. packed with with players and characters and well, i'll have to look for that i don't know where that's at but i'm pretty sure i saw it in my twitter feed but all right 
Next up, we've got Gabble Rocket. And I love this in quotes. <laughs> Gabble Rocket, <laughs> myself in the face. Who put that bubble there? Um, <laughs> what's up, Gabble Ratchet? It's always the Titan's fault. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so I've never played a game of Magic in my life. It's okay. Something that I came across or had any friends that were into. Um, I did go to Cirque du Soleil last night. Ooh, how that's my interesting thing for the for the week. (laughs) Wait, I thought you were going to skip that and go see Guardians of the Galaxy. No, I didn't skip it. I okay. So it was a it was technically a work function. So skipping it when the owner of my job had spent an awful lot of money on very very good seats would have not been cool in the career path. But it was really neat. Cool bunch of cool steampunk clowns. One of my coworkers has a horrible fear of clowns, and oh. she was like sweating the entire time. Oh no, <laughs> that's it was awesome. hilarious. <laughs> oh, that's great. It's mean to think it was funny, but it was funny. But but it's a circus. What? What? Some okay. people clowns freak so, some people out. So was I that? Mean, I know, that... but like, what were you expecting at a circus? <sighs> That's uh, okay. Wait, well, that was that, that must have been it, oh, Curios, right? That's the yes. steampunk one. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I saw that one was here in San Francisco. It's really cool. And that yeah, was Gamora Pop. There talking, Sherpa Pop. What's up? <laughs> uh, I'm good. I also saw Guardians of the Galaxy. Yes. I saw it like way back on the 25th of April. I was so happy. Australia got it before the UK did. <laughs> Because you live in the future. <laughs> no, the thing I think it's because we had a public holiday on the Tuesday, so they bumped the Thursday to the Tuesday oh. release. <laughs> they got it Thursday. Um, I saw it Gold Class, which is where you get like food that they bring in halfway, and you're sitting in a recliner chair. So it was amazing. What? Oh, that's yeah, awesome. yeah, we have Gold Class Cinema. You can order like I got sliders and a giant frozen Coke, and they come and bring it in halfway in the movie, and I'm there like reclined <laughs> in my chair. Yeah, it sounds like uh, Alamo Draft House. Mm, they have them all around here, like yeah. heaps of them. So you just like it's it's not cheap, but it's awesome. There's there's no other way to see movies now. You nice. can't go That's back. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, so I, I loved it. It was great. Good. Yes. That's yes. that's yeah. And I guess uh, last, but well, yeah, and least. Um, is our Whoa. new regular, <laughs> I guess, or kind of regular, uh, Grootology. I am Groot. Um, Cosmolology. Hello. I didn't Hello, say Grootology wrong, though. Yeah, there wasn't the extra L in there, and I added it, because that extra L is very important, as people who have tried to play with me on PlayStation have found out. <laughs> How are you doing, sir? Uh, I'm doing well. I uh, I recently got a wake up call about my my amount of time I put into Destiny. Um, one of my friends got a PS4, and I asked him if he had. It's like, oh, did you get Destiny? He's like, I don't have that much time, so I, <laughs> I guess I didn't make it clear that you can actually play the game um, without having your life totally engrossed by it. What? That's he thing. says on the podcast about the game. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you can do that. <laughs> No, okay, filthy casuals. <laughs> yeah, I'm questioning all my other life decisions. I didn't know there were options. <laughs> well, in the PS4's defense, there's a lot of really good games to play on it right now. 
Oh, yeah. Yeah. All right, well, thanks for joining us again, and we'll get into the vault here shortly. But before we do that, let's uh, hit up some of these thanks and announcements. I've got an announcement. Um, we were invited back at the beginning of the year to join the Sundowners Gaming uh, Group with their annual uh, charity event to support the veterans, and it's coming up. Uh, so on May 20th, uh, there will be a... a uh, event on Twitch. It's Twitch TV, Twitch TV slash Sundowners Gaming. Uh, we'll put links in the in the description. Um, but the Ghost Stories team, uh, me and Gabble and whoever else wants to join, are going to be streaming uh, for the charity from midnight central time until about 2 a.m. So I know it's a, it's a weird time, but it might work for some of you UK folks and, and might even work for sure. Maybe she can jump in. Uh, but, Maybe. but yeah, and there's, there's going to be some other folks there as well. We've got, um, Oh, the RNG cast, uh, hidden and uh, hidden. And <laughs> I love saying his name, uh, from the, the derp fam, um, destiny, massive breakdown podcast, the dad's tales guys, uh, destiny down under podcast. So, uh, you should come check it out, even if you can't donate, show your support just by showing up and, and rooting everybody else on and just having a good time. Um, but that's coming up here in a couple weeks. Like I said, we'll have some info in there. Oh, it, it goes, the charity um, works with stackup.org and, oh, what's this other one? The uh, Veterans Emergency Transition Services of Canada, so it helps Canadian vets um, as well. So, yeah, get out there and show your support for the people that support you, if they do. And if they don't, support them anyway. So, Wait, is there, is there a date on this? Uh, it, there's not on that flyer. I, I thought there was. But it's May 20th is when it's, when oh, it's okay. happening. So it's a Saturday in a couple weeks. Uh, nice. So, yeah, you should uh, you should check it out. Um, yeah, that's a good time for me, too. I mean, I will show up just to, just to talk. I mean, talk with the massive breakdowns, guys. These guys are great. And I think we covered this next one a little bit already, the thanks and announcements. Um, Guardians no. of the Galaxy 2 is awesome. Go see it. Repeat it. <laughs> Say it again. Guardians of the Galaxy 2 is awesome. Go see it. Yes. I I have never had to stop myself from laughing in a movie before but there was a certain scene where i was crying so hard with laughter that i couldn't see the movie yes i saw it in 3d imax and it was jaw-dropping like it was i think i said when i would jump into the slack like there's never a point in that film where you're not either laughing hysterically having all the feels or just being completely mind blown by the visuals that are on the screen. Like everything about it is just incredible. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I know this, this, this conversation came up in our Slack. So was baby Groot annoying after a while or no, I heard he was not after some people started seeing the movie, but before it came out, that was, that was a lot of people's fear is that too much baby Groot would have been too much. No, per perfect, perfect amount. Good. Even, and I won't spoil it, but like even <laughs> the opening of the film features Baby Groot pretty heavily, and I'm like, oh man, really? But I was just laughing hysterically. Like it was perfectly well done. Great. 
Yeah, I think the the scenes where he is featured, they lean very heavily on him, but it's not. There's not too many of those scenes. Like, there's only a couple of times in the movie they're very they're leaning heavily on that. <laughs> if that makes sense. <clears throat> and I might go see it tomorrow. So, <laughs> oh, it's so good. So, what's this I'm, conversation that was? What's this conversation about the Vex Gates in Slack? Oh, yeah, so we had a conversation in the Lore Vex channel in our Slack. Somebody, uh, we originally asked the significance of the location of the vault. Uh, so we'll talk about that a little bit in this episode, so I'm not going to go into that here. But we also had a great conversation about the Vex gates. Because it was brought up, you know, that the Vex have the ability to teleport. They can just end... Also leaning into sort of this ongoing theory about the the sort of bio silicate network of the planets and and the Vex. Like, what's the point of having the Vex gate if they can just teleport wherever they want? Uh, so it's a really good theories brought up and people sort of speculating on the nature of of the gates and what purpose they serve and whether they're designed solely for like assembling the the one is the frames. I had a different word for it, but I lost it. Uh, that the Vex actually inhabit, like, you know, if they're just perpetual, but they need, uh, if they need the chassis to, to load into, that's what the gates provide. Or, you know, there's the different kinds of gates. Some you can straight walk through. Some have, like, the one uh, on Mars. Some of these giant, like, dish dishes behind them like they're solid objects like the one in the endless steps so just a lot of cool breakdowns about theorizing what the what purpose the gates serve we haven't talked a lot about the gates we talked a lot about the uh the spires and the confluxes but not so much the gates uh so it's good good like great great sort of analytical conversations going on in the slack yeah, which is a roundabout way of saying go to destinyghoststories.com and ask to join our Slack so you can take part. <laughs> so yeah. many. Go ahead. I was going to say we've had we've had uh, quite a few new people join up. There was a dry spell for a while, but I think with the the uh, the Destiny Two hype and everything else, people are looking for some info and finding us, and so it's awesome. But only join if you're a warlock. We we don't want any <laughs> titans or hunters. Also, we're probably not going to talk about Destiny 2 on the show until Destiny 2 comes out. Oh, man. Speaking of Titans, I didn't put it in here, but the the glitch that was revealed today, which was actually revealed a long time ago, but just came to prominence today, the, the infinite shoulder tackle glitch for Titans. What? Oh, have you not seen this? No, I haven't been on the internet today. This glitch basically allows you to buffer the shoulder charge so you can trigger it whenever you want once you've met the criteria. <laughs> Nice. So, so normally with a shoulder tackle, you engage in a sprint. After a few seconds, you get the that sort of shoulder tackle aura mm-hmm. that provides a window to deliver the shoulder tackle. Mm-hmm. With this glitch, you can basically buffer the tackle and store one so you can use it immediately after you start a sprint. Oh, or you can use it after the window has closed and do it at the end of your run. So basically it allows you to, if you're standing still, you could turn around instantly. You could sprint and then instantly shoulder tackle out of it. It, the video, the guy put up. I, I should know his name off the top of my head, and I'm sorry that I don't. I'm gonna get it 
uh, right now uh, by Quaker. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. It's brutal. The video he has up, <laughs> it's like he is standing still and somebody runs past him and he just shoulder tackles him like from a, almost a complete standstill. It's, <laughs> That's awesome. it's so vicious. Uh, and now that it's like really well known or at least getting to be well known, I am both terrified and excited for Mayhem Iron Banner. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> because I'm going to do the whole thing on Striker Titan and I'm just going to destroy people with this. <laughs> I can imagine nearly everyone to be running Striker Titan then and then it would just be hilarious. Well, I have to imagine. People two, shoulder charging everywhere. Incoming. <laughs> two, if two Striker Titans shoulder tackle each other, I can only imagine it's just going to destroy whatever zone they're in. So <laughs> Everyone just, on the map dies. Yeah, every, the shockwave <laughs> kills everyone. Uh, but it's vicious. It is really vicious, uh, but awesome at the same time. I'm going to have to look. I had, a, I had a video from, I think, last night or the night before. Um, I ran into a room, and this Titan was hiding in the corner, and he fist of havoc right next to me, and I didn't die, and then I killed him. It was weird. And I don't think there was any network issues either, but it was kind of kind of freaky. Um, what's this other thing? Shout out to somebody about something? Oh, and yeah, my last shout out is to uh, Volshock Berserker in our Slack chat because he totally emailed me a hard copy of all of the year one Destiny Grimoire in like an awesome just little book form. And I've been keeping it with me and highlighting things and making <laughs> annotations on the page and writing notes into it. It's becoming like my little Drops combination. Journal. Yeah, like it's going to be my own Tolan's journal here. I saw, uh, it looks like he sent a few other ones out, and I gotta say this because it was kind of funny. Bife uh, posted a pic of his, but he also had what appeared to be like a Destiny Year 2 book underneath it. Yes. Kind of trying to show, hey, look, I've got a Year 2 Grimoire book. And he said he was like typing up notes, and he had a little cup of, of tea sitting there. And the only thing people got out of that tweet, it was kind of it was kind of funny. Everybody was knocking on him because he used too much milk and sugar in his tea because it was very <laughs> blonde so it was it was kind of it was kind of funny i thought it was but uh hey i that's what my coffee looks like i like sweet coffee but sometimes Sh- sugar ruins coffee i like it i like, I like it always. i like sweet coffee and tea i ruin everything it's like beer you know i don't dislike really any beer they're just all different, so I'm kind of that way with coffee. I can drink it black or sweet or not or whatever. So, Also, I just want to point out, it's important to note, maybe not for other people, but at least for us, uh, there is more to the lore than just a grimoire. You've got to look everywhere for it. <laughs> so, just wanted yes. to put that out there. It's important. A lot of the stuff we're going to talk about <laughs> on this show today has nothing to do with the grimoire. Uh, and but it's critical to understanding the vault. So, and with that, all those people that said we talked too much in the intro, the lore starts now. Let's get going. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, I also I'll reiterate what we're going to talk about it right now, but reiterating things we've talked about in the past. Uh, and it's important to say this right up front because this has even come up in the Slack chat recently. 
please remember the Vex are not the robots that you see. The Vex are not machines. Uh, the Vex are the the organic strata, the the radiolaria, the the data milk. That is the Vex. Uh, the robot, the the frames we destroy are just their their housings for how they move about. Uh, they're the sweet rides. Yeah, there's there's sweet whips. Uh, <laughs> And we're going to talk about that a lot in this because a lot of what we're going to come to understand about the vault, why the Vex are on Venus and things like that, it's important just to sort of keep that in the back of your head that when we say the Vex, what we really mean uh, are these, these the radiolaria and the, the silicate shells they produce. So that said... On the last show, we mentioned uh, some of the text from the Hunter Vault of Glass raid armor uh, and the potential side effects of exposure to the Vex, including the word anti-ethnogens, which we talked about. Uh, this is a topic we also heavily discussed in our Vex Fragments episodes, and that is that exposure to the Vex can result in some pretty hefty mental shenanigans. Uh, and in Kaber's case, a complete transformation of existence. Uh, I did make a note here that, <laughs> interestingly, a study that followed subjects for 15 years found that higher levels of silica in water appeared to decrease the risk of dementia, although ingesting them drove K-Bar out of his damn mind. Uh, so an increase of up to 10 milligrams per day of the intake of silica in drinking water decreased the risk of dementia by 10% or 11%. So theoretically, drinking Vex could be good for you? I don't know. Uh, but we've talked about the silica slash silicate nature of the actual Vex, the radiolaria, the quote liquid organism, the Vex data milk. We've explored the idea based on in-game clues that the actual Vex have integrated themselves into the geological makeup of Venus. Uh, and we mentioned that the, the actual geology of Venus is made up very heavily of silicates. Uh, and one of those in-game clues that's is ghosts saying that the Vex uh, have integrated themselves into the very mantle of Venus, which is possible. So that said, we're going to take a, some time here to talk a little bit about silica and glass. Uh, and I'm going to read a fun quote here from Wikipedia uh, just to sort of set the stage here. So, And this reads, <clears throat> Precursor to glass and silicon. Silica is used primarily in the production of glass for windows, drinking glasses, beverage bottles, and many other uses. The majority of optical fibers for telecommunications are also made from silica. It's a primary raw material for many ceramics, such as earthenware, stoneware, and porcelain. Silicon dioxide is used to produce elemental silicon. This process involves carbothermic reduction in an electric arc furnace. And then I have the, there's a little thing here, which is SiO2 plus 2C goes to Si plus 2CO. Uh, I'll put that in the show notes because it makes more sense when you look at it rather than me reading it. Uh, but I love the use of the word precursor here, uh, the production of glass, uh, fiber optic cables for telecommunications, and an electric arc furnace. Uh so this silica glass is also known as fused quartz forms naturally uh, 
when molten silicon dioxide is rapidly cooled, it does not crystallize, but it solidifies into glass. The geometry of the silicon and oxygen centers in this glass is similar to that in quartz and most other crystalline forms of the same composition. Silicon is surrounded by regular tetrahedra of oxygen centers. This is important later when we discuss the glass throne. Uh, a tetrahedra in geometry, a tetrahedron, uh, is known as a triangular pyramid, and it's a polyhedron composed of four triangular faces, uh, six straight edges and four vertex corners. It's, it's a pyramid. Triangles are very important in the formation of silicate glass. Uh, so silicon dioxide is um, basically the, the starting point from which you make computer chips. Um, and an, another note about silicon is that it is very similar to carbon in its chemical structure. So a lot of um, astrobiologists, um, which is actually a thing it turns out, um, <laughs> kind of predict that if we're not going to find carbon-based life, we're going to find silicon-based life because it is, it is chemically similar to carbon. Um, it's not as um, happy to form chemical bonds as carbon is, um, but it, it's got a similar structure. Uh, a note also on silica glass. Uh, fused quartz or silica glass is glass consisting of silica in amorphous non-crystalline form. It differs from traditional glass in that it contains no other ingredients, which are typically added to glass to lower the melt temperature. Fused silica, therefore, has high working and melting temperatures. The optical and thermal properties of fused quartz are superior to those of other types of glass due to its purity. Uh, which is why you find it in superconductors and semiconductors and things of that nature. Uh, so then I have a note here that says, but wait, you say, which you're at probably actually not at this point. Uh, the glass <laughs> transition temperature of pure silicon dioxide is about 1,475 degrees Kelvin. So that's about 1,200 degrees centigrade. Uh, and the surface temperature on Venus is only about 470 degrees centigrade. Yeah, on only. Only. <laughs> well, also bear in mind, Venus has a local air pressure that is 90 times that of Earth. Uh, but even that said, uh, that's not hot enough to to create silica glass. Uh, and I have a note here that says it seems more of a balmy 85 degrees Fahrenheit after the traveler was done with Venus. Uh, <laughs> like, do you have do you have a formula for how much energy it would take to do that to a planet? Um, I. I don't because I just added that that note a few minutes ago when I when I read your comment and was like, the answer is it's it's a huge amount of energy. Um, and just just as an example, the the reason they they don't use nuclear weapons on hurricanes, other than it being a terrible idea, um, in the first place, is that the the amount of nuclear weapon in a uh, sorry amount of energy in, in a nuclear weapon explosion. Is just orders and orders of magnitude less than you know the amount of energy in the air contained in one single hurricane, and then you need to kind of multiply that over the entire surface of a planet. It's it's an extraordinary amount of energy. Um, so there's definitely some paracausal shenanigans going along uh, with the terraforming there. Also, 85 Fahrenheit is 29.4 centigrade. So. So a reduction from 470 centigrade to 29.4 centigrade. Good job, Traveler. Uh, significant drop. 
Uh, so this is true. So, but it's, here's something that's worth noting, and this is going to this is going to be one of our crossover points of like the science of what's happening on Venus and the mythology of the vault. Uh, there is a feature you see pretty much everywhere on Venus, and that is a massive volcano. Uh, in other episodes, we talked about the geology of Venus, so I don't think we need to go back into that a lot. Uh, but the average temperature of volcanic lava just happens to be between 700 and 1200 degrees centigrade. Below the surface as magma, it can range even hotter. This means that the geothermal temperatures below the very area of Venus, the Ishtar Terra, where the vault is located, is perfectly set up for the creation of silicon glass. Uh, and for what it's worth, most types of magma are silicate mixtures themselves. Yeah, so silicon turns out to be a, a very common element, um, basically because it's, it's one of the stages of fusions, you know, fusion in very massive stars. And I'm not going to go any farther in that because I could talk for basically four and a half hours about fusion in stars because <laughs> I think that's interesting. But, that's what we do here. It's fine. But it's, one before we get too far away, just to go a little bit more onto to glass, where glass is basically it's kind of like a solid and kind of like a liquid. It's basically the molecules are very stuck together. So one molecule to another, they're very tightly bonded, but there's no large scale structure like there is in a crystal. Um, this, this is what makes it transparent is this, this lack of any organized structure. Um, but the, the molecules are um, bonded to each other. So it doesn't flow like water. It, it does have some stiffness. Uh, I also have a link to this. I have an article up that I've had saved for a long time to talk about this from Cornell University, uh, which is entitled Quantum Computing in a Piece of Glass. Uh, and it opens with, and I'm just going to say these words, and only Cosmo will understand them. Uh, <laughs> uh, quantum gates and simple quantum algorithms can be designed utilizing the diffraction phenomena of a photon with a multiplexed holographic element. <laughs> the quantum eigenstates we use are the photon's linear momentum as measured by the number of waves of tilt across the aperture. <laughs> uh, but this paper goes on to describe how glass can be used in quantum computing. Uh, and when I first read this years ago, uh, this sort of opened my eyes a little bit to what the very nature of the vault could be. Uh, and why glass is so important. Uh, we've talked about the quantum nature of the vault in prior episodes. Yeah, from what I can tell, the the main reason this works is because glass is can is transparent. Um, you can you can almost kind of store photons in there. Um, so rather than trying to store an electron, um, which electrons are finicky things um, because they have electric charge, so they get bounced around by atoms. If you can store a photon, it's much easier to manipulate. Wow, this thing is crazy. This this paper here. I'm gonna. This, I'll, this paper looks fun. Yeah, I hear. I'm gonna. I'll. Oh man, here are some. I'm, I'm gonna give it to you right now in the in the Slack, and then yeah. you can take a look at it. Well, I think I found that, it. I'm gonna stop well, these... for a second and just say <laughs> this. I mean. This alone, this just this whole silica business, 
the amount of, of work, you know, th this obviously isn't just, sur you know, happenstance, you know, it's not just, oh, this happens to just work and, and destiny and we, you know, we're connecting dots that aren't there. They had to, to do this research and put this information in there purposefully. And it just blows my mind how much work they put into this. So it's, uh, oh, it's yeah, it's, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to bring this all back around. Uh, but yeah, th this all, once this is all tied together, it, this is totally like something that does like, this makes sense. Like, wow, this all, this all works. And that means that it was designed to work. Like, and this is why I think we always call the vault out as such an amazing piece of both game experience and writing is that the depth that exists. And I said this earlier in a little Twitter thing I did. It's like the amount of behind the scenes work and depth and care put into the creation of the vault and the systems that we're discussing is just absolutely remarkable. Uh, and it is, it is a testament to some unbelievably imaginative writing and world building. And it's, it's, I think even if you don't, if you're not interested in all these crazy, like organic systems and technology systems and, and, Geo geological systems and the science we're talking about, the mythology we're going to talk about, even if you're not interested in all those things uh, proactively, the work put into it comes through and it allows you to appreciate the vault without knowing all those things for what it represents. It's like the, the little work put in the details provides a greater experience, even if you don't actively know that you're having an experience related to those details. But we're just haters, so whatever. <laughs> uh, so, so, so I said while this all, could all be very coincidental these circular connections can very well be the clue to the question of why uh, the Vex decided to how is the vault on Venus like the, the entire this entire thing is, is too too perfect and I didn't read this Radiolaria thing but I'm going to do a quick refresher because we're talking about like silicates and things like that this is how this ties together a little bit. Uh, radiolaria, also called radiozoa, are protozoa of tiny diameter that produce intricate mineral skeletons. Uh, typically, the center capsule dividing the cell into the inner and outer portions. The elaborate mineral skeleton is made of silica. Their skeleton, skeletal remains make up a huge part of the cover of the floor of the ocean, which is called silicus ooze. Okay, so what's silicus ooze? Silicus ooze is a silicus pelagic sediment that covers large areas of a deep ocean floor. Silicus oozes consist predominantly the remains of microscopic sea creatures, mostly radiolarians. After burial, most silicus ooze remains unconsolidated. However, a fraction of silicus oozes dissolves and reciprocates as a result. The silicus ooze are incorporated into orogenic belts associated with subduction zones. Okay. Basically what happens is that this silicus ooze can solidify. Uh, so then what ha and that that solidification is called rad radiolarite, which is a hard, fine-grained, chert-like, and homogeneous sedimentary rock that is composed predominantly of the microscopic remains of radiolarians. Uh, and you can find this on Earth, like the they 
the layers build up over and over and over again and create these giant like stone looking structures. And all they really are is this continued hardened layers of this silicous ooze. Uh, and they can create ground mass. Uh, so these radial arts are bio, it's called biogenic marine finely layered sedimentary rocks. The layers reveal an interchange of plastic micrograins, radial aryan tests, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, radiolarites are very brittle rocks and difficult to split. They break conchiotally with sharp edges. Sorry if I mispronounced that. Uh, during weathering, they decompose into small rectangular and triangular pieces. Colors range from light whitish to dark black via red, green, and brown hues. Okay, well, those are the same colors as a lot of the Vex frames that we come across. All of this takes millions of years to form, though, at least on Earth. Ghost scans the structures on Venus and say they predate our system by billions of years. Potentially, with a species connected to timeline or time manipulation, this process could be significantly pared down, say, to overtake an entire planet. Uh, so the, the circle that I talked about was that the Vex are this... Radiolaria organism. They create these silicate exoskeletons for the most part. That silicate exoskeleton allows them, one, to integrate with the very geological makeup of a planet, say Venus or Mercury, and then they can grow any type of structure they need through this whole silicous ooze and hardening into this radiolarite rock. The idea being that, or at least in theory, is that these huge towers and spires and architecture we see all over Venus could have actually been grown out of the silicate mantle of Venus by the Vex, by the very nature of their existence. And that also leads to this theory that Mercury, for, and we'll talk about Mercury a little bit further on in the episode, that they didn't necessarily turn Mercury into a machine. They just sort of integrated with the very mineral nature of the planet itself and then grew it into something else, into the Vex. Uh, and this is sort of lays this groundwork, no pun intended, for how the Vex take over a planet. They become the planet by integrating with its geology. Uh, and this all goes back to this idea that they are this tiny radiolarian creature that has this connection to silicate structures. And it's, it's, it's crazy. Like, it's this amazing idea that, one, you have this microscopic organic creature that is super smart, can create organic networks. And in fitting with the theme of the Vex trying to integrate themselves with reality, just turn planets into themselves. Uh, and part of that comes from what we're about to talk about, uh, which is the quote from the axiomatic beads item in the game, which is, quote, iridescent glass baubles that seem to contain inscribed Vex logic. So this be turns, this is where the, the science fiction part of it happens, where the Vex, as an organic being, have the ability to code their logic into the silicate structures they're making. Thereby, whatever they make, 
is Vex. It contains their logic. Uh, the icon for axiomatic beads uh, have an exceptional resemblance to radio Laria skeletons. Uh, and this, in effect, could be the very nature of how the Vex plan to assimilate with existence itself. Uh, when we first arrive on Venus, Ghost mentions that a lot of the structures are, quote, surging with Vex. Uh, and as we've posited before, the structures themselves are actually Vex, and they're grown by the Radiolarian Vex after they've integrated into the silicate base mantle of any given planet. Uh, there's actually an item in the database that uses the same icon as axiomatic beads called Radiolaria. Uh, and the description of that item is particles of Vex mind fluid, potentially a source of insight into the Vex threat for your Vanguard mentor to study. Uh, so this becomes this. Again, this is all just sort of like a, a conjectured theory, but all these pieces do fit together. Uh, and suddenly now it's very, it makes a lot of sense, right? So now we have, we know exposure to the Vex causes crazy mind things, like to the point of like ethnogenesis, which they're like a, a feeling of wanting to support this thing. Uh, that makes sense because the very structure you're walking on is encoded with the Vex. Like they're, they're, you're standing in Vex. So of course you're going to start to like over, not overcome, but, uh, move over to their side, start to understand, not understand, or start to even experience what they want you to experience because you're you're completely surrounded by them and you don't even know it. Uh, and these structures are just bleeding out Vex logic and they just sort of uh, has that effect. Uh, and that's echoed, so we're going to talk about Mercury, that's echoed in the grimoire for the lighthouse, uh, which reads... <clears throat> All of us began to depart from ordinary experience. My exo teammate described the sense that she was buried beneath an enormous operating mass, locked up in a tiny crevasse at the bottom of a labyrinth or mechanism. My awoken teammate felt an ongoing sense of deja vu. Her actions were processed by an infinite echo, an anticipation of all her choices. She became volatile and erratic, and that insisted that we were surrounded. I remember a low ringing sound and a sense of numb filth like gravel rubbed into a wound. I experienced a sense of imminence, as if I was bleeding into the world around me. It was uncomfortable and profoundly alienating. I perceived all my actions as determined and inevitable. Uh, and then you, so that makes sense. If, if in fact, every single structure these people are setting foot on, these guardians setting footing, is actually the Vex bleeding out this encoded data, this is very similar to the effects uh, that the Vault Fire team had. It's also very similar to the effect that we talked about in Vex Fragment 4. Uh, I won't read this whole thing, uh, but just, just a line here. The cellular Vex elements are infectious, hallucinogenic, ethnogenic. Uh, the informational Vex elements are more dangerous yet, and there could be semiotic hazards beyond them, aggressive ideas, Vex who exist without substrate. Uh, so I did a little a little breakdown here, but this is this is like the other part of the horrors of the Vex, and especially the Vault. Like if the Vault really has been grown uh, via this silicate process, growth process, we, like we are like ground zero for crazy brain things to happen. 
so one thing, um, the the uh, who's the one who gets who feels like they're surrounded, which I believe is similar to what our ghost says when we first encountered the Vex that that we're surrounded. Um, I tried nice. to Google that quote, and it just comes up with the Ghost Stories podcast page. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, Vex. Uh, Ghost says that he has a bad feeling like we're surrounded. And especially if you look at your radar, when that happens, your entire radar lights up red and then goes completely blank. Uh, yeah, that's right at the right before you meet the Exo Stranger. Uh, but then we also have, like, again, an enormous operating mass, the bottom of a labyrinth. Okay, that's quasi vault related right there. Uh, processed by an infinite echo. That is, in a sense, what happens to Pradith. Uh, and a sense of imminence bleeding into the world around me, uh, very similar to what the the scientists at Ishtar experienced when they encountered the Vex. Um, uh, it's not it's not safe. It's not safe to be around <laughs> anything related to the Vex. So here's the here's the TLDR that I wrote about all this information, the, the quick and dirty. Uh, the Vex are a quote-unquote invasive radiolarian species that potentially integrate with the silicate makeup of a planet's crust mantle via their silicate exoskeletons, allowing them to replace the geological makeup of said planet with themselves. The silicates and all the structures they form are encoded with Vex logic, uh, thereby essentially transforming an entire planet into Vex. Uh, and Pradith echoes that when he says mines the size of planets. Uh, they become synonymous with existence at this point. Uh, when silicates are cooled from extreme temperatures, they can form into triangle-shaped glass. The Vex themselves have ethnogenic properties, and exposure to them has serious mind and conscious altering effects. Uh, this is another aspect of how they integrate into reality. Uh, I made a note here that the hives seem unaffected by this. Uh, Oryx marched right on the hull of and faced down many, many, many Vex. He's also taken the Vex, but doesn't seem to be affected by a lot of these properties. Uh, but given that the the Hive are devoutly religious and somewhat paracausal in nature, uh, they could just have a huge resistance to these the effects uh, that the Vex have on the minds of other beings. And for what it's worth, silica uh, is used in the extraction of DNA and RNA due to its ability to bind to the nucleic acids uh, under the presence of chaotropes. So silica's got a lot of crazy things it can do. Uh, yeah, that's that's um, partly due to what I was referring, referring to before. It's, it's chemically s similar to carbon. So, so it binds to lots of stuff. There's a, the Cabal and Fallen don't seem to be as affected by the Vex either. Uh, and as we know, both the Fallen and the Cabal basically take up shop right around a major Vex spire. Uh, but it doesn't seem to have these devastating properties uh, that it does to humans. Uh, 
The Cabal may be so rigidly disciplined that the effect is reduced, and the Fallen, who followed Skull Loss, may be so fanatically devout that the effect was reduced. And that's even worth mentioning again. Skull Loss and the House of Wolves, they go to the very top of the Citadel. There's like ground zero. I mean, I guess opposite of ground zero is is the depths of the vault. I don't know what's way up at the top of the... <laughs> Sky zero. Yeah, there you go. Uh so this points to two big overarching themes important to the vault. The Vex can reshape the very nature of existence through their personal integration and supplantation. Uh, and they have a nearly symbiotic mastery of technology that allows for the organic creation of components responsible for the manipulation of quantum mechanics and chronological forces. They are a terrifying species. <laughs> and they are they seem at least far more complex than some of the other species we encounter. Maybe not the hive, but so sorry. That was like the big whole thing on, on what we're seeing when we go to these places and why even, even going into the vault or even being around these structures, especially being on mercury uh, have huge sort of effects on the people who go there. And it makes sort of Osiris a much more interesting character. If Osiris did, in fact, live and function, and some of the Sunbreakers also currently live and function on Mercury, either they're bought into this or they have some way to resist it. Uh, but putting all these pieces together when it comes to the Vex makes a lot of sense. Also sort of explains why this vault is glass. Uh, and when we get to the glass throne, we'll talk about that a little bit more. Uh, also, I don't know that... Did we open the vault on the last episode? No, I, I do not believe we did. Or did we just talk no, we about were, it? We were, waiting, we were waiting there. Okay. Sending next to the plates. Didn't step on yet. Okay. Opening the vault. You have a note here, Cosmo, about the vault opening. Um, I do. It, it turns out it, this is much easier to do when you have headphones that um, when you open the vault, uh, a little triumphant theme of music plays. Um, which I think I mentioned last time. I didn't know that until I got headphones. And that is our first introduction to another theme that we're going to talk about a lot, which is the language of the Vex uh, and whether or not that language is music. Uh, that tone, there's three distinct tones that play when you open the vault. Uh, song, quote-unquote, song one, will always play regardless of how you open the door as long as you're playing on normal difficulty. Song two will play on hard difficulty, but only if you lose a sync plate during the phase. Song three will only play on hard difficulty if you complete the entire phase without losing a single sync plate. Uh, if you glitch the door open using the Campus 9 trick, it will randomize the tones. Uh, so, uh, the quote here from Kaber, No one can open the vault alone. I opened the vault. There was no one with me, but I was not alone. And over the course of the current story in Destiny, the Guardian canonically enters the vault three times. During the Vault of Glass raid... During Wolves' Gambit, which is a House of Wolves story mission, and during Paradox, uh, which is a Taken King story mission. 
Oh, three and a half times? Yeah, so there's the whole issue where Lakshmi tells us to go back in for the Eye of Atheon, um, which is problematic, to say the least, (laughs) um, because... So it's, it's, yeah, there, there are, there are ways to resolve it. Um, but none of them are particularly good or particularly, um, supported by any evidence. I'll say, uh, we've discussed Wolves Gambit and Paradox. So we're not going to really, we're going to focus on the raid version of the vault for now with some notations at the appropriate points, uh, in Wolves Gambit, Skolas seems to just blow the doors of the vault open, <laughs> uh, which I think is also problematic. Uh, and in Paradox, the Vex open it for us. Uh, but what does that mean? So let's talk about spires forming. Uh, <clears throat> so we briefly discussed sink plates during our Fruit of the Garden series during Eye of the Gate Lord and talked about spires and confluxes. Uh, here they all come into play together. Uh, we didn't go that much in depth on sync plates. Uh, there is a connection between the Vex tech that controls the plates and the light wielded by guardians. It's currently unknown if the guardians simply use their light to override the plates uh, or if we craft our light to create specific effects. Given the proposed connection between the Vex gate network and the hive ruptures, it's not much of a stretch to imagine that our light has an effect on these plates. So yeah, this is the Waking Ruins. Uh, and this is the first first opening of the vault. Uh, I actually didn't write this. I think Gabble wrote this. Uh, vault is opened by having a fire team split into three groups, each responsible for activating and holding one of three sink plates. As long as the Guardians are controlled the three sink plates, a spire will continuously form. If a Vex Praetorian takes possession of a plate, the spire will begin to deform. Once the spire is fully formed, it generates a beam of light that sinks to the vault door, causing it to open. Uh, so the, the word Praetorian will come up um, later, actually. Yes. Um, but the, the Praetorian Guard um, was an elite Roman unit. Um, they acted as bodyguards to the Emperor. They apparently also did the Emperor's dirty work. Um, so it kind of makes sense for them to be... Um, guarding something in that sense. I've got some good notes on Praetorians. Uh, also, this goes back to... So, also, we just... Support, Praetorian here doesn't always make sense, right? Where are my notes on Praetorians? Uh, man, I had so much, so many things on Praetorians. Uh how do I need to maybe I need to refresh these notes? Uh, sorry. Uh, we don't know. So back to the volcano that we talked about earlier. We don't know. Well, okay. Praetorians. Praetorian as a naming uh, structure for the Vex here doesn't really make sense. Uh, so this title makes well the title makes sense for a unit the naming structure doesn't at all Praetorian falls in line more with the Cabal naming structure consisting of Roman 
or Greek military units rather than the mythological beings of the Vex. Okay. And, and so. the same thing for the, the legions, uh, which yes. are a, a uniquely Roman thing. Uh, as you said, the, in ancient Rome, the Imperial Praetorian Guard, or Praetorian Guard was a unit of Imperial Roman Army forces of elite soldiers. Uh, so there's actually from that a 2014 interview uh, with Luke Smith from Kotaku. Uh, Kotaku asks, what is the difference between a Praetorian and a Minotaur? Uh, and Luke says, I'm remiss to describe too much with the technical difference between their behavior setup, but they are assuredly different. Uh, so now we go back to the volcanoes on Mars. One of the major volcanoes in the Ishtar Terra is named Cleopatra. Uh, Cleopatra, quite famously, involved with Caesar and Mark Antony. Mark Antony operated a number of Praetorian units uh, because he was a high-ranking official, uh, including a specialized cohort of three. So Praetorians as guards here, as they relate to Cleopatra, make a lot of sense if that volcano is in fact Cleopatra. Uh, also, fun fact, in uh, 284... Diosleotine, I'm probably butchering that name, uh, reduced the status of the Praetorians and replaced them with two new factions, one of which was called the Eovanini, or translated the Jovians. So, there you go. Praetorians makes a lot of sense here if this is a fact. Uh, Cleopatra. They have void shields. Back in the day, you'd use Swordbreaker to destroy them. I don't know what people use now. Oh, people use just use Dark Drinker right now. <laughs> I was gonna say now, now you can use Swordbreaker again. True, but yeah, Dark Drinker works well. Um, they're not that tough, so um, as I stated in the the Vault of Glass, was it the reveal? The reveal and slight ride along that um, they're kept at lower light level, so you don't have level twelve encountering a level forty Praetorian um, on patrol. Um, but the ones inside the vault, like in um, when you're front of the gatekeepers, those guys are tough. They are beasts. Uh, this is all happening in the Waking Ruins, by the way, and we've discussed the Waking Ruins before in the Vex Fragments and Fruit of the Garden series, but only in passing. Uh, yeah, Praetorians are no joke. Uh, yeah, they're. I mean, they are. It makes sense again. The name. The name makes sense. The being applied to the Vex doesn't really make sense, but makes sense for where they are. Uh, and then I have this food for thought. I wrote this, you know, two weeks ago, and we've had this discussion. We had this discussion also in the Slack chat. Food for thought. Uh, why? If the Vault is such a place of power and the Vex can teleport, why have a door at all? Why have sync plates capable, capable of being overridden by your enemies to grant access? Uh, and we've had a lot of discussions about this. We just had one right before we started this episode. Uh, and that is once Vex get to a certain age, they lose their uh, teleportation license. <laughs> that was Wyatt, Wyatt White's explanation for it. Uh, I posited that one reason could simply be that because the interior of the vault is its own 
contained reality and timeline, it may be impossible for Vex to simply teleport into it uh, or resources required for the interior of the vault. Um, so given the capabilities, it's unsure if it would even be needed. Yeah, so so now I get to, to blather about quantum mechanics for a while. Yeah. Uh, so I guess this is we gotta we gotta tackle this at some point, so might as well do it now. Um, basically, I, I said last episode that there is a, a deep connection between kind of outside light interference and timelines. So basically what happens in, in the, the many timelines interpretation of quantum mechanics is that the interaction between um, a quantum state and the background actually causes a timeline to split. Um, so here's an example. Um, so let's say we have some artificial universe um, where we have a hunter and it counters a minotaur. And so we have two timelines. And in one of these timelines, the minotaur defeats the hunter. And in the other one, the hunter um, defeats the minotaur. And so the way that quantum mechanics works, um, the timelines can interact if they're very, very similar. But if they're too different, they don't interact anymore. Um, so let's say the hunter wins. The, the hunter uses golden gun. Um, emits a bunch of yellow light and shoots the Minotaur. Um, in the timeline where the Minotaur wins, um, its torch hammer um, emits a bunch of purple light. So the timeline where the hunter wins, not only does the hunter win, but it has a bunch of yellow light. Um, a similar timeline would be a timeline where the hunter wins and there's a bunch of purple light. Um, but this timeline doesn't exist. The, the hunter gets their golden gun off first. Um, and so it's not only the fact that the hunter wins, but along with this hunter winning this fight, you have the yellow light from the golden gun and any background light, you know, from the sun that may have reflected off the hunter's helmet and all this other background stuff um, associated with the actions of the hunter that just does not exist in the timeline where the Minotaur wins. Um, and because these timelines are now very different, because you have this, you know, all this background yellow light and stuff from the hunter versus the minotaur, which has its own, you know, associated light and particles it's making. These timelines are actually very different, even though the only difference is whether the hunter or the minotaur won. Um, so it's this kind of chain reaction of an event happens and then it affects all the stuff in the background um, that separates the timelines. And so from, from a kind of literal quantum mechanics standpoint, um, the reason you have a door is because if all this, you know, light from the sun and from, you know, all the plants on Venus and all, you know, the wind blows into the vault, you start getting enormous diverging timelines time just from the fact that there's outside stuff getting in. Um, and so you'd, you'd have to make a pretty complicated quantum device that'll let some stuff in, um, but not the stuff you don't want in. So that's that's one possible explanation for why why you need a door. It's a way better reason than I had. <laughs> yeah, I, I hope that explanation made any sense. I'm. No, it absolutely did. That's yeah. that's the best way that I can understand it. That basically, well, especially in the vault where where this this time these timelines has to be rigidly controlled in order to preserve the this sort of static environment in the vault where the Vex can control everything down to, you know, the very nature of existence within it. Right. And so that's when I, this is one of the theories I was alluding to when 
how can we go back in the vault and defeat Atheon to get his eye? If the first time we went into the vault, in addition to, you know, blowing all the Vex up, if one of the things we did was, you know, destroy all their machinery and cause the vault itself to split into multiple timelines, there might be one of those timelines where Atheon is still alive and then we can go kill him there. Oh, interesting. But that would mean that Lakshmi knows that happened. <laughs> Otherwise, she couldn't tell us to go back. She must have had knowledge that a, that the timeline split. Yeah, again, that's there's no concrete evidence for that theory. I um, guess that's what, that's what the device is for, right. though? Possibly. It's, it's, again, there's a lot of stuff in the vault where there's, there's not a lot of concrete evidence in the grimoire for it, but it all makes sense together. Um, this one, I'm not going to say this is what happened, definitely, because um, yeah. there's, there's not as much pointing to it as some of the other stuff that we'll discuss, where there's so much pointing to it that it's kind of undeniable. Well, there you have it. There's like the quantum mechanics reason for having a really big door. Uh, so the door opens, and now whether we're three or six, we're, we're now have the ability to enter the vault. Uh, and this first entry to the vault is very sort of Venetian in design. It's mostly rock. This is just a very basic entrance. But as soon as you get in here, this is this first part of the vault is called the Trials of Caper, uh, who we discussed last episode. So as the fire team begins their descent, the path forks. There's a well-known and conventional path through a doorway, but there's also a secondary hidden path below the first entryway that many people took during the Paradox mission or while when the Paradox mission is open. Uh, and I have some massive notes here uh, about the trials of Kaber. Uh, we don't know what these trials actually were. Uh in fact, when I was researching this, a lot of people posited that it is a typo, and it is really the trail of Kaber. <laughs> uh, but maybe trial sounds more interesting, or it just didn't come out right. Uh, personally, I believe this to be a reference to the idea of katabasis, uh, or what is generally understood to be the, quote, hero's journey to the underworld. Uh all throughout mythology, we have heroes who have faced trials or labors and then end up in the underworld and either have to fight overwhelming forces there or fight their way back out. Uh, and this sort of goes into this theory that I'll talk about a little bit later uh, with the vault and uh, a note I have to make uh, as I finish this up. So... Uh, from Wikipedia, uh, the trip to the underworld is a myth theme of comparative mythology found in a diverse number of religions from around the world. The hero or upperworld deity joins journeys to the underworld or the land of the dead and returns, often with a quest object or loved one, or with heightened knowledge. The ability to enter the realm of the dead while still alive and to return is proof of the classical hero's exceptional status as more than mortal. A deity who returns from the underworld demonstrates exological themes such as the cyclical nature of time and existence, or the defeat of death and the possibility of immortality. Uh, 
that fits remarkably well with many of the themes of Destiny. <laughs> uh, so there's tons of these stories. Uh, they're found all throughout all different cultures. Uh, but there's two I want to point out because they're not only are they incredibly applicable, uh, but they make a lot of sense, but they're also super deep. Uh, so the first one is the myth of Theseus, and the second one is, of course, Osiris. <laughs> uh, if you're not familiar with the myth of Theseus, uh, he's the guy who braved the labyrinth to defeat the Minotaur, <laughs> and then he later went to the underworld and lost one of his friends there. Uh, uh, if all those words sound familiar, it's because they're all from Destiny. Uh, I pulled a few quotes about the myth, myth of Theseus out uh, for this. Uh, and these are from Dante Allegri from the Divine Comedy. Uh, the first one is, Just let Medusa come, and then we shall turn him to stone, they all cried, looking down. We should have punished Theseus's assault. Turn round and keep your eyes shut fast, for should the Gorgon show herself... And you behold her, never again will you return above. And the second is about the gates. Uh, I saw more than a thousand who once had reigned from heaven, and they cried in anger, Who is this who, without death, can journey through the kingdom of the dead? Let him return alone on his mad road, or try, or try to, if he can. To me, he added, You, though I am vexed, must not be daunted. I shall win this contest. Whoever tries within to block our way. Uh, so uh, again, go ahead. The 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 guy who escaped the vault and then kind of went mad. Do do we know anybody? <laughs> who, any particular hunter with a with a famous machine gun who did that? Wait, somebody who was without death journeyed to the kingdom of the dead. Journey journey to the underworld. <laughs> No, we don't know anybody like that. Uh, certainly nobody who's thoroughly vexed. <laughs> <laughs> and don't let the Gorgon see you, or you'll never return above. Uh, there are tons of parallels that go all the way back to the myth of Daedalus, and the creation of the Labyrinth, and then the involvement of Theseus, and the Minotaur. This is a huge story, uh, from Greek literature. And I can't go into the whole thing here. Like I will I will provide a link actually to somebody I'm going to mention in a minute who did a ton of work breaking down the parallels between this myth and the entire experience in the vault. And it is a fascinating read. I will make sure I had that link in the show notes. It is worth your time if you're interested. It's insane. Uh also worth noting, uh, as long as we're here, we'll mention the god Inanna, or Ishtar. We've talked about her in the past. Uh, she also braved the underworld, which was ruled by her sister. And the literature used there is that she reemerges from the underworld uh, back to the heavens and the light. So even the myth of Ishtar, which is the where we are on Venus when we're doing this raid, uh, has a myth tied to descent into the underworld uh, and then returning to the light. Uh, 
The last myth there is Osiris. We've talked a ton about Osiris. We talked about Osiris the god, Osiris the myths, Osiris the ruler of the underworld, uh, and how he ended up down there and what his role was. Uh, so I don't think there's any point in rehashing the ridiculous number of references to Osiris uh, <laughs> that exist and the Osiris and Destiny and his connection to the Vex uh, in their underworld. Uh, Osiris also. So this alternate path we take, there's been a lot of speculation about it. Uh, what it means, where it came from. Uh, it is the first of three alternate paths. Yeah, three alternate paths in the vault. Uh, and it wasn't until much later that they put a treasure chest in here that wasn't there at the beginning. Uh, but this path is known for among other things, it's uh, robust vegetation. <laughs> uh, I read a theory that in the Kaber card, when he mentions he made a crack to let the light in, people posited that this is what that meant, uh, that it allowed plants to grow in the vault because he created a rupture in the vault that allowed that to happen. Uh, I don't know that I agree with that, but it's possible theory uh for what it's worth uh osiris uh was considered not just a judge of the afterlife but also he was responsible for the sprouting of vegetation uh as a as a link to his his connection with the underworld gave him agency uh over the powers that granted life uh including sprouting vegetation so this could be the tree that's there. It could be very much a reference to Osiris uh, and his influences. I had a note here about the silicate nature of plants, <laughs> which makes it very not unusual that uh, given everything we just talked about uh, in with the silica and its building block for life that uh, plants would appear down here. But it is a cool path. It's a bit of a jumping puzzle. It's where you find the first ghost in Paradox. Uh, there's weird red lights down there. But, I mean, honestly, it's just a really cool alternate path to take uh, through the vault. Also, I like your um, one itch eternity later thing here. Oh, yeah, that's for... <laughs> when I did the Paradox mission, I, I, I was not aware that you could get to the, the Templar as well from this path. And so I spent quite a while trying to backtrack and jump up that ledge. Um, but it turns out there's a path there. Yes. To get back out? Yeah, to get, yeah. Um, I guess I did it somehow, but... <laughs> we, we need to ask Surfer Boy. He knows how to do it. Uh... Anyone else? Anyone wants to take this path as the normal route and skip the door? There's nobody else in this podcast but me and Cosmo. I'm, I'm here still. I'm, I'm kind of like <laughs> dumbfounded by all the science happening. <laughs> I, I normally don't take it because I like to drive my uh, my sparrow down to the Templars well to try to run the Vex over, um, which is some of the most fun you can have in Destiny. Um <laughs> It, it does about half the time lead to me 
dying due to my sparrow exploding, but that's that's why I run Selfres. Yeah, I don't I don't take it either, just because same reason Cosmo, you know, first time I did it, it took me forever to figure out how to get through it. Um and it was actually whenever I ran that mission and got those ghosts is whenever uh Drop and I played for one of the first times and finished that uh the Paradox mission. Mm-hmm. And that was that was a good time. You making fun of me the whole time because I kept falling. <laughs> I like this path because it emerges on the right side of the Templar as well and gives you an amazing view of that first conflux forming. Uh, just this giant crazy storm cloud opens in the sky uh, to present the first conflux before you jump down there. But speaking of which, the Templar as well. <clears throat> Is where we end up. Uh, a place that is before or after stars. Okay, so now I'm gonna I'm gonna doubly bore everybody. <laughs> uh, before we go any further in the Templar as well, I have got to make a note here about Alpha Lupi. And just just one note. One just very one long note. Giant note. Uh, because it is critical to understanding what we're going to talk about in this particular section of the Vec, uh, the Vault of Glass. Before I do that, though, I have to say again, a lot of this research, a lot of what the information we're presenting would not have been possible without the hard work of the uh, Raid Secrets subreddit. In particular, somebody who I'm going to quote here, Seventh Circle, uh, his writing is absolutely incredible. The research he has done on both Alpha Lupi and the vault are a magnitude of order beyond anything else that I have found. Uh, I think X-Ray, you actually reached out to seventh about being on the show. Uh, I think, I think it was gabble actually. Oh, it was a gabble. Yeah. And, Um, And he mentioned that he'd rather stay in the background a bit on this uh, but yeah, I need him to know like this, his work is absolutely remarkable. The post I'm going to link about the myth of Theseus and the vault comes from seventh circle. And it's just, it's unbelievable. His, his work is incredible. Uh, so thank you. Thank you. Seventh circle for all the hard work you've done and huge, again, huge thanks to the raid secrets subreddit for all the hard work they have done. Uh, for the exploration of the vault and finding some of the connections that exist there. They're just an amazing group of, of people working very hard to, to solve some of these mysteries. Uh, I've mentioned it before on the show that my sort of, my white whale is Alpha Lupi. Uh, there's a lot to it. There's the original ARG for Destiny, but there's also... Tons of references to the star, its relationship to the traveler, the symbols that we see, especially in Vex architecture. Uh, And I think somebody made a joke that it's like from Dark City (laughs) when they find the guy in his his apartment and he just got symbols drawn all over the walls because he went insane. Uh, Yeah, that's what my work on Alpha Lupi is like. Uh, so I want to introduce it here because 
as we talk more about, especially now that we're in the Templar as well, as we talk about the oracles, what they do, what they mean, how they communicate, the language of the Vex, the music they create, Alpha Lupi becomes critically important. So buckle up. Uh, this is the culmination of a lot of research and a lot of work. <laughs> uh, so here we go. My note on Alpha Lupi. <clears throat> Uh, this is its own giant rabbit hole. Maybe one day I'll do an entire episode just on this. Uh, Alpha Lupi, uh, and again, okay, <laughs> sorry. We've talked about Alpha Lupi before, and it's important to stress here that Alpha Lupi is not a random design element. In a nutshell, it is the visual, visual and geometrical basis for the language of the Vex, a language theoretically based around music. Uh, much in the same way Bungie wrote a language for the Fallen, they wrote a language for the Vex. <clears throat> and it's a language at the moment we, that we do not know how to speak. Uh, Alpha Lupi gives us a sense of geometrical relationships between sounds that we can follow. But the patterns, much like the pattern of the sounds that make up words, are out of our reach at the moment. We just don't know how to translate it. Uh, it's worth noting the version of Alpha, the Alpha Lupi image found in the game, like in the Nexus uh, Shores of Time, versus the one we see in the ARG are slightly different. Uh, there's an extra circle around Jupiter, uh, while the one in the ARG has an extra straight line. And then the Nexus pattern itself is slightly different from the rest, with the position of Mercury being slightly different, which knocks the Oracle position out of sync, but we'll talk about that a little bit later. As this could be the work of Secreon, uh, but we'll talk about the Oracle uh, disharmony later. Uh, I'm going to quote Seventh Circle right here because, again, his work is spectacular. Uh, <clears throat> quote, there are different arguments for how these patterns are used. Some of us believe that they are purely geometrical, that they align with star charts or conform to the rules of universality of the labyrinth, equilibrium, and balance. Some of us argue that this is ultimately mathematical in nature, a form of musical code as the modulo 7 and 12 construct. Some of us believe that they are triads or base 3 numeracy, triangular numbers and chords as musical words of a sort. Some of us think that this is bonkers and instead it has something to do with the distance between these notes as that they are themselves a mathematical language, a language of ratios deeply interrelated with astronomy. Some of us go an entirely other way and think the sounds are a form of encryption, where the sounds we are given are not actual sounds that are intended, but they're layered behind ciphers, unbreakable, as Rahul would say. Some of us think the pattern is buried in some form of obscure musical tonality or serialism, such as the 12-tone technique. Ultimately, we don't know. We haven't found the pattern yet. Uh, yes. <laughs> uh... There's tons of theories about how Alpha Lupi ties into the very nature of the Vex. Again, Alpha Lupi was the very, very, very beginnings of Destiny. It was the original ARG. And in the vanilla story of Destiny, the Vex are the primary enemy. These things do tie together. Uh, I, I have I, a brief note about Star Charts, which is that it is highly unfortunate that the, the night sky skybox in Destiny is... Uh, utterly useless. Um, it doesn't pertain to any, you know, real image of the night sky. In fact, if you look at the galaxy, there are several galactic centers. Um, so just 
kind of keep that in mind when we're talking about astronomy and stuff like that, that the, this is based on the, the real life, um, alignment of planets and stars. Um, not the, the destiny skybox one, which is all messed up, which bothers me. <laughs> I don't know if it bothers anybody else, but we need to get, we need Neil deGrasse Tyson on to explain what's wrong with it. <laughs> uh, the fact that the language is based around music, we do also get hints of that in game from Rahul. Uh, and he has two idle quotes when you're standing around him. One is, uh, now what use would creatures like that have for music? No, it's language, code, signal. And then he also says, uh, this is beautiful. This is like music. The dude's an expert, quote unquote, <laughs> uh, in decryption. And algorithms, so uh, that would be something he would be excited about. Yeah, and and this is kind of a neat, a neat little thing. But the uh, the sounds that the Vex make um, when you when you shoot at them, make them angry. Are they're cat noises that the uh, the sound team at Bungie just put through a bunch of filters um, until they were kind of unrecognizable. Um, so that's kind of the the original source of those noises are cats, but. I don't think there's any there's any lore implication of that. <laughs> Except Spoilers. that all that time Cats. ago when I made I made a noise as a vex and you all laughed at me, but I was right. <laughs> <laughs> now there's a isn't there an audio doc about that about yeah. how they created a lot of the the sounds for yeah. the game? And then we yeah, also that's, that's where that's mentioned. We also learned from Morla during our interview with her that. She created a lot of the noises for like weapons and hive creatures in the game just by herself, which is also kind of cool. Uh, man, Foley artists are are crazy. It's a very fascinating line of work. Yes. Seeing how they make the sounds, yeah. I man, some of the sound effects in Destiny are so good. Hawkmoon, mm -hmm. Hawkmoon, I use fifty percent for the sound. I like the, the clack Probably. of Mida. Yeah, Mida's good. Oh, there's so many. <laughs> uh, then you have a note here about the 12-tone technique. Yes, 12-tone technique um, has a lot of set theory in it, which is a, a, it's a branch of mathematics um, concerning collections of objects. Um, so I remember when I was in college that a lot of my music major friends got very upset when they took um, modern music courses and suddenly had to read a lot of math. Well, let's talk about some of that. Uh, <clears throat> so the fully charted alpha lupi symbol that we know in Destiny is, at its fundamental core, a chromatic circle. Uh, the position of the planets around the circle directly correspond to the notes the oracles play uh, in the uh, Templar as well. We also know that the symbols around alpha, the Alpha Lupi array are geomantic symbols representing the seven heavenly spheres known to antiquity during the first golden age. We can tie the Alpha Lupi array of the Vex both to the music and the oracles of the Templar as well. Think of Alpha Lupi as, mapping, as a mapping of the language of the Vex. But instead of using words, they use tones and sounds, and alpha lupi is the key. So chromatic circle uh, 
is a geometrical space that shows the relationships among the 12 equal-tempered pitch classes, making up the familiar chromatic scale on a circle. Uh, no memory is not the key. Alpha oh. Lupi is the key. <laughs> it reminded me of that. That's, that's why that's there. It's, uh, a, if you it's can... a red versus blue reference. Oh, okay. Uh, I, where did where did Gabel go? I need him for this music stuff. Uh Hey, I know music stuff, too. If you take a 12-pointed chromatic circle and overlay it over the 12-pointed clock face circle of Alpha Lupi, each planet around the circle lands on a particular note. So the Alpha Lupi chromatic overlay reads C, D, E, F sharp, G, A, what is the B? B B flat. flat. B flat. Yeah. Then, if you look at the tones the oracles make, it is C, D, E, F sharp, B, G, sorry, G, A, B flat. Uh, that is a remarkable coincidence. <laughs> I don't think so. Uh, so you have a note, and you have a note here about that that tonal array. Yeah. So it's it's. I think kind of evidence to the intentionality is is that it starts on C. Um, this is just me mostly trying to to rant about the keys in Destiny uh, <laughs> as much as I can. The, the keys in Destiny are terrible. So Rise of Iron is all in E flat major. Um, Last Stand, which is the Oryx fight music, um, is in F sharp. Uh, the the Warmind, the theme that plays during. Um, the Warmind mission is just in several. Um, if you don't know music, um, you're probably not as upset as I am. But they're they're very <laughs> difficult to play in. Um, but this this is kind of based in the the fundamental key of all kind of modern Western music, um, which is C. Um, so these these start on the note C for that reason. Go. Cool. Uh, so. They have a note here from the original Alpha Loop by instructions. Think not of locations, but the spacings between. And that was the first big hint to try and decipher uh, the language of the oracles. Okay. I have a lot of charts here <laughs> in these notes, which are not going to come across well on the podcast. Uh, I'll do my best to describe some of them. I'll probably do a huge post on our website that includes a lot of these notes. Again, I'm going to link to the work of Seventh Circle and some of the crew over on the the Raid Secret subreddit because they have an amazingly in-depth analysis of all this. I'm going to skim it across the surface because that's what we have for time, but the work these guys have done is remarkable. Uh, before we get too far away um, about yep. the spacings, is that you can shift... Um, the oracle scale up and down. It doesn't have to start on C, but as long as you keep the spacing constant, it it's the same thing. There you go. Uh, per the standard oracle configuration, uh, Alpha Lupi is in a state of non-equilibrium. Uh, the Alpha Lupi image is not complete, and the pattern is a state of non-equilibrium, i.e. not harmonious. Uh, so, the symbol as it's created is possibly incomplete. And this is led people, but this is a reference that the Vex have not finished the pattern. We know from paradox that 
everything has to be part of the pattern, but we don't know if the pattern is finished. Prayeth himself says he doesn't know what the shape looks like on the other side. Uh, and the Vex only follow the pattern. We don't know if they know what the shape is at the end of the pattern as well. So the non-harmonious, non-equilibrium state of the Oracle configuration could very much ascribe to the Vex don't know what the pattern is yet. This is probably potentially why we can fight them here. If the pattern was complete and everything was perfectly harmonious, we would never even have a chance to exist within the vault. Uh, by completing the pattern, it's possible that equilibrium can be reached between the spheres, creating a harmony, uh, a balance of order and chaos. Uh, the locations of the oracles and Templar as well can be triangulated using the Mita multi-tool. Uh, it's not 100% accurate because of things like screen resolution and exact angles. Uh, but the team at Raid Secrets used quarter points uh, based on the angles of the compass on Mida to keep it as accurate as possible. So when you look at the triangulated oracle locations, uh, the instinct is to interpret them as three groups of two and one oracle out of, on its own. And we see the same pattern in Alpha Lupi. Uh, so, so that would make the one... Go ahead. So just a question about that. So the, the three groups, um, it helps that I have the diagram, are, um, oh, I can't read these, but what's commonly known as hidden left and hidden right are one group. Um, right stairs and far right is the second group, and then middle and back left is the third group, and that leaves the far left one as the, uh, the one, on, one on its own. Is that kind of what I'm seeing here? Yes. Yeah. So that far left is L2. Yeah. The one that's out by itself. Uh, the one out on its own, L2, which only has five spawns total, so it doesn't fit with the uncursal puzzle theory because L2 can never be the starter endpoint, uh, which the line of symmetry defines or is defined by. If the line starts outside of the oracle's net, then where does it start? On the alpha lupi puzzle, uh, point one. Uh, is the sun represented by the geomantic symbol Fortuna Major. This is where the line begins according to Alpha Lupi, uh, the first celestial sphere, the source of light. Uh, in the grimoire for Alpha Lupi's sun, it reads, there must be meanings in its roar. You listen hard and carefully, and sometimes a lucid melody seems to rise out of random noise pulling your mind into moments where it seems possible that answers are about to be revealed. This leads us to the Templar. and we'll, This is the Templar as it relates to Alpha Lupi. We'll get to the Templar as it relates to the Vault and our encounter a little bit later. Uh, the Most of the time, the Templar makes a very familiar, angry, vexed gibberish noises, which we know are now cats. <laughs> uh, now and again, for reasons we have not yet figured out, it will sing a melody of five notes. Uh, they're always the same, and they're always very clearly different from its regular noises. So this creates the idea that the Templar itself represents the geomantic symbol Fortuna Major. Uh, it is possible that the Templar is playing the role of the sun in the Alpha Lupi array, 
which in Pythagorean parlance would make him Apollo, and in turn the oracle's a representation of the seven-stringed lyre of Hermes, uh, Mercury, that's me, uh, which was carried by Apollo. This goes to the, the text we get in the game, the Templar summons his oracles, which implies ownership. If you take the Alpha Lupi array, rotate it 180 degrees because the sun is normally at the bottom, uh, similar to the director that's in the main game, uh, and overlaid it into the well, the location of the sun's celestial sphere coincides with the location of the Templar during the oracles phase. And then that line of symmetry that we talked about is represented by the Mercury oracle falls into R2, which is the point that defines our line of symmetry from the Uncursal puzzle and is the only oracle to spawn seven times in the array. So, flip some things upside down. Uh, uh, so, th again, this is like, it's crazy how Alpha Lupi and the Vault are so closely tied together. Uh, and we're talking a little bit about some now bringing some more mythology into it, talking about the the forms they create. So the triangulated spawn pattern of the oracles uh, with the remainder of the alpha loop by lines is added uh, and located the celestial spheres of the outer ring. Because of the location of R1, the pattern is corrupted from being a seven-point star to a five-pointed star instead. Uh, so, and I'll post this image, this the shape of the form. So basically, the first five oracles spawn in the shape of a pentagram. In Pythagorean history, a five-pointed pentagram was a very important symbol, just as it was to the Templars, uh, with their things that like symbols of the Baphomet. So now we're going to get into some history to go along with this crazy <laughs> Pythagorean math. Uh, during the occupation, after the Crusades by the Templars, they set up headquarters in the Alaska Mosque, which they named the Temple of Solomon. We'll get to that in a little bit. After the, after the first famous temple, which occupied the, the mountain antiquity. Nearby the Alaska Mosque and the Temple Mount, however, you will find a much older Dome of the Rock Shrine. And within this shrine, you will find something called the Foundation Stone. The stone is of no small importance to both Islamic and Judaic religions as it represents the junction point between heaven and earth, the center and origin point of the world, and the site of various miracles and important religious events. Beneath this rock, down a set of steps that were excavated by the Templars themselves, is a part natural, part man-made cave called the Well of Souls likely the resting place of the Ark of the Covenant before it was removed. Uh, where it is said the souls of the deceased await judgment. If you go into this cave, you go right to where the foundation stone was in the Well of Souls, and you look at it. Inside this thing that exists in real life, you can go to this place and look up. <laughs> uh, the base of the foundation stone has a five-pointed star in the bottom of it. I feel like I am part of a conspiracy radio show right now. <laughs> <laughs> Aren't we a little? Uh, yes. Some, some hit squad from Bungie is, is ready to, to bust down the door. <laughs> Good luck getting to me. Uh, so this is, I mean, this is crazy. So this is, again, so now we're going to like, and this is going to come up again. This is like the temp, the Knights Templar, all their crazy stuff 
this is now a tie into that as well. But like the idea, like the well of souls where the, the souls of the deceased awaited judgment in Egyptian mythology, the souls of, of, of the deceased awaited judgment by <gasps> Osiris. <laughs> uh, and, and then you take it to another level. If we as guardians are in fact dead, not really where we were raised from the dead. Uh, we are now the deceased awaiting our judgment from the Templar. And that's in, kind of what the, uh, the, the oracles in the Templar do is they look at you and they decide, should you be here or should you not be here? And then they, they judge you. And depending on what they decide, uh, either you're fine or your entire team is dead. Or didn't even exist at all. Uh, so in summary, <laughs> the odds of finding uh, a clear five-pointed star symbol within the Alpha Lupi array, the symbol of Venus itself, shared by both the Pythagoreans and the Templars, uh, esoterically, esoterically revealed when the Oracle spawn order is overlaid onto Alpha Lupi, but only after having first worked out the correct orientation of the oracles in the first place, and then finding that this very same symbol is in a room called the Well of Souls, located on the Temple Mount, the headquarters of the Knights Templar, and this room just so happens to be the meeting point between heaven and earth, the foundation of the world, a place of judgment for the deceased. Concepts which we will all immediately recognize from our explorations of the vault, the odds of all this being some random coincidence are so astronomically tiny uh, that we potentially can't even entertain that idea anymore. <laughs> uh, but wait, there's more. <laughs> uh, so in conclusion, the pentagram is important, yes, but it's not the symbol of celestial harmony. So likely the odds here that the Vex really are maybe using the wrong symbol to manifest the true power of the vault. But if the Vex are using the wrong symbol, what is the right one? Okay, now I have to talk about Pythagoras and the music of the spheres. <laughs> we'll get to a little bit later. Uh, it's kind of a lot to talk about right now. Uh, but let's talk about the music of the spheres a little bit. Just a quick note. Uh, the 6th century BC scene evokes an image of an orchestra expectantly tuning up, each player absorbed in his or own instrument only, deaf to the caterwauling of others. Then there's a dramatic silence. The conductor enters the stage, raps three times with his baton, and harmony emerges from the chaos. The maestro is Pythagoras of Samoas, whose influence on the ideas, and thereby on the destiny of the human race, was probably greater than that of any single man before or after him. Uh, and that is a quote by uh, author Kostler from The Music of the Spheres. Uh, again, then I have a note here in the notes. Again, uh, much of this research regarding the Vault of Glass is owned wholly to the Raid Secrets subreddit. I've read this in the last episode. I re restated it here. But yeah. Seven Circle, Cornholio 32, Real Coolio Man, Von Zeppelin, Demolition Wolf, Surfer Boy, Jew Boy 300. Uh, these guys have contributed so much to the wealth of information we have about the mythology of the vault that, you know, it's worth thanking them into perpetuity for. Uh, and the last part of the note here I have moves away from Alpha Lupi, but, uh, and into 
the the actual real world implications of what the Templar's well is. Uh, there are multiple real Templar wells in our world. Uh, one is in Sinestra Sintra, Sintra, Portugal, hidden away in a garden called the Forest of the Angels. Uh, it's still currently owned by families of Masonic lineage. In the garden, there is a labyrinth of tunnels penetrating deep into the bedrock of the mountainside. Uh, it is believed to be for initiates wishing to immerse themselves in what they call the womb of Mother Earth, much like the Gnostic sects have done throughout history. One tunnel, this is, I pulled all this from uh, Wikipedia and some studies on the Templars. One tunnel leads to a shaft sunk 40 feet into the earth. It is officially described as a well, yet close examination shows it never did, nor is it capable of retaining water. It consists of five levels of unevenly stacked and undressed limestone blocks, here and there patched and repaired. Behind the blocks hide five low and narrow circular galleries, each access through a claustrophobic spiral in a style that suggests a later refurbishment. Um, At the top, yep. So limestone is is similar to uh, the the radiolar. What is the stuff we discussed earlier called? Radiolarite. Yes, um, it's it's also made of dead animals, not dead animals, yeah. dead tiny creatures. Um, but it's it's carbon based. So creatures like with shells, they they no. Calcium based, my bad. Um, I believe it's calcium based, so they they accumulate c- calcium, um, and then they they die and they get crushed at the bottom of the ocean, and it it builds up into limestone. Well, well, that's awesome. <laughs> uh, at the top of the shaft is an eighteen foot diameter hole, level with the ground, and surrounded by a rough dry stone wall in the shape of a horseshoe. The entrance faces northeast, and like Stonehenge's horseshoe of blue stones, it's referenced the highest position of the light, the summer solstice sunrise, an esoteric reference to an ancient wisdom that, coincidentally, the feast day of John the Baptist, to whom the Templars dedicated a disproportionate amount of churches in Portugal and elsewhere. Uh, So this well, this literal Templar's well, uh, is associated with various rituals of the Knights Templar. including a successful candidate would complete the final initiation by undertaking a voluntary near-death experience to be awoken by an adept in the morning and lifted from a figurative grave. At this moment, they were declared risen. This initiation is still performed today by Templar's progeny, the Scottish Rite Freemasons. Well, that's remarkably coincidental. Uh... The well itself is part of a larger uh, larger uh, Templar Masonic architecture of Portugal, some of which believe is the secret resting place of the Holy Grail. I'm not going to go super deep into this, but if you're interested, read about the Knights Templar and the country of Portugal. It's insane. Uh, it is so cool how what is believed to be the history of Portugal or what we might understand to be the history of Portugal could be completely different from how it was actually formed, possibly as a stronghold for the Knights Templar to hide the Holy Grail. Uh, It's awesome. Like, look into it if you're interested. It's really cool. Uh, The Templar's three main buildings in Jerusalem form a perfect trinity, bisect it, and the line goes to the Osirin in Egypt, the site of living resurrection rituals. This is known as the Osirin map. 
yes, Osiren is exactly what you think it is. Uh, the Templars left clues that the crypt under the enigmatic rotunda of Tomar was used for such a purpose. If you trace a line through the rotunda to the Templar Church of John the Baptist, the line passes through two pillars with the pagan symbols of the dragon and the green man, symbols of rejuvenation, and ends 2,000 miles away at the Church of Notre Dame du Montseon in Jerusalem. If you then take that church plus the other two prime Templar sites, the Holy Sepulchre and Solomon Stables, where they resided, this perfect triangle is bisected and the imaginary line ends in Egypt, specifically in the underground chamber called the Osiren, where the oldest rituals of resurrection were once celebrated. Those were the resurrection rituals of Osiris. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. <laughs> Uh, and that's what I have on the Templars well <laughs> yeah I mean look, re looking into some of this stuff is just crazy like all the and at some point I sit back and I think to myself did, did the team over at Bungie pull all this throw it in a blender and make the vault and have you know all these ref a lot of these things weren't necessarily planned but they all kind of fit in very nicely or you know is there like somebody at bungie like this is luke smith's garage just like pasted with like the alpha lupi symbols and music of the spheres and like like all these like Templar dig sites and the temples of Osiris is like, and he's all like, that's all connected. He's got like the string running between all of them. <laughs> uh, like the, uh, the storage space from, uh, uh, what's it called? True detective. When they're trying to map out all the crazy things that are interconnected. Uh, and it's funny because some of you talk to game, like a, a great example, right? When we talked about, uh, sleeper simulant and how the community built these amazing theories that were all like plausibly connected. But then the reality is no, they weren't like that has nothing to do with it. It was a time gate. Like the people at Bungie were like, you guys jumped off the deep end with this. We never intended it for it to be at the level that you guys took it to. But all the puzzle pieces were there for it to be formed and for it to have these theories pulled together. Uh, there is something, though, about the mystery of the vault that makes people want to believe that all these things are true. <laughs> like, this this was all thought out. All these references are real. They're all intentional. Uh this was built as a giant puzzle to figure out. And not only was it built as a giant puzzle to figure out, we haven't figured it out yet. <laughs> uh, you know, I think one of the big things sort of to this day, like for people like me and for people like Seventh, uh, we haven't figured it out. We, we don't know how to decode the language of the Vex if that is in fact what the music is, if that's what the tones represent uh, we're, we're still if there is a piece missing we haven't found it there could be no piece 
like we could just be crazy. <laughs> uh, but we want to believe that there is. Uh, and whether or not we ever discover it, who knows? I, I mean, I think, you know, we'll be in year eight, right, for Destiny. And we'll still be wondering about what happened in the vault and, and what mysteries are still down there. And part of this is why this is such a huge topic to tackle and why through dozens and dozens and dozens of Reddit posts and hours devoted to research and reading. And I've written thousands and thousands of words on this topic and, and all the time people have spent. I mean, on one hand, we don't want it all be for nothing. On two, we've created an incredible body of work just for pure you know, curiosity purposes. Uh, but to, all this work, all these references, all these notes, all these coincidences can't just be for nothing. There's, there's got to be something more, right? Like, I don't know, maybe that maybe there isn't. Uh, but yeah, this is this is one of the things that when the uh, the uh, the Destiny Two, um, after the reveal trailer, when you could pre-order it, and they had the the Osiris symbol and the Warmind symbol on the mm-hmm. on the images, that that got me really excited because there's so much with those two. Um, those two factions that is so interconnected in all of destiny. It's, it's, you know, with, with rise of iron and so oh, it's the fall and it's nice, but see, it's kind of a, a one-off thing, but Osiris is everywhere. Yeah. Uh, man, I don't know if we should go into the next part of this. We'll be here for another two hours. <laughs> Especially since, yeah. especially since now we're going to get hard into the oracles, and the theme of the oracles is just like some of the notes that we have in here right now about like again the relationship of Alpha Lupi, the oracles, the tones they create, like mono harmonics. Uh, some of the notes Gabble has in here, and he's he had to step away, so he's not here to explain some of his own notes. I'd rather him tackle some of this stuff uh, and be able to speak to his own notes. So maybe we should cut this here uh, in the Templar as well. Uh, we'll talk about Confluxes next. We'll talk about Oracles next. The Oracles is going to be its own crazy show. Uh, we'll talk about the Templar. We'll talk about the Aegis. Uh, we'll talk about defeating the Templar. Like I, I mentioned in a, a tweet a while back, I was I was like neck deep in Orphic philosophy uh, as it concerned what it would mean to defeat a Templar. Eleusinian uh, mysteries, uh, Dionysian stuff, the Greek connections, uh, and then, man, the Gorgons are going to be their whole other <laughs> thing. So I think we should, we'll, we'll leave it here. Uh, we will fight. The next thing we're going to do is fight the Templar. We'll, we'll defend the Confluxes first. Uh, we'll talk about the Conflux spawn order. We'll talk about the significance of where they appear. We'll talk about the Oracles. We'll talk about uh, what happens if you use uh, the Timur artifact in Confluxes, which is the... the actually... 
I'm gonna I gotta take it back. The bringing a sparrow into the vault is the second most fun you can have in Destiny. The the first most fun you can have is um, running teamer um, and running that until you get booted from your fire team um, for reasons that we will discuss. Wait, can you can you take control of an oracle? You can't take that control makes an of an oracle. Invincible, right? What happens um, when you take control of a vex who is going for a conflux is your teammates can't shoot it anymore, but it keeps his pathfinding, and so it just marches up to the conflux and sacrifices itself. And if your teammates don't know that you can punch um, enemies to make them hate you again. Um, they are powerless to do anything about it. <laughs> so, a lot of vault runs is me running around, punching everything, trying to get my team to wipe. Um, if you put a Saint-14 bubble in front of a Conflux, will they just wander around aimlessly? I don't know, because a lot of the other fun is that they they teleport there. They don't walk yeah. the whole way there. They walk a little bit, and then they just teleport right to the Conflux. Um, so I have not tried that yet, um, but I may, have to, I may yeah. have to. <laughs> we have to go and test it. Uh, all right. So, I mean, that I feel on one hand, I feel bad. I feel like we didn't do a lot of like vault talking about in this episode about the vault of glass. We talked a lot about the Vex but you can't talk about the vault about the Vex, and we talked a lot about Alpha Lupine's relationship to the vault. I promise you, we will cover the the actual vault experience. Uh, but, but there are just some big things that we had to get out of the way uh, concerning this episode, and and some of these things are like I happen to find them cr- like ridiculously interesting. Uh, and it's funny reading, if you read through my notes and you read through some of the posts I've made uh, on some of the subreddits, and then I think Seventh and I fall down some of the very same, like, Wikipedia internet K-holes <laughs> uh, uh, and get lost in exploring a lot of this mythology. Again, for this show, I just have to sort of, like, really give the basics and skim over the top. But if you're looking for super in-depth analysis on a lot of these things, uh, I will provide links to some of Seven's writing and some of my own writing about this stuff. Because yes, if, if you have made it two hours and you're like, I have another four hours free, and this was only two hours. Yes. Um, then... <laughs> I mean, even the guys who went down into the vault and used Mita Multitool to triangulate uh, the Oracle locations is, I mean, the the level of dedication is just astounding. Uh, and later we'll talk about the differences between the Alpha Lupi symbols in the vault and the Alpha Lupi symbols beneath Secreon and what that could possibly mean for Secreon's work outside the vault, but still on Venus versus inside the vault. Uh, and the work of the Templar and the, the similarities uh, that exist between the two of them. If I'm not mistaken, the, uh, the Alpha Lupi, Alpha Lupi symbols also, um, appear in the lighthouse, I believe. Yes. The uh, the lighthouse, the shores of time, uh, 
the one beneath Secreon is actually really, really important to Alpha Lupi lore, not necessarily to Vault of Glass lore. Uh, in the vault itself, uh, and in the Citadel, as you go up. Uh, it's funny, I was when I was reading about the the shapes that Radiolarians create with their silicate skeletons. Uh, I was looking like the on the Wikipedia page. There's like a huge map of all the different shapes these things sort of naturally form into. Amazingly, if you go to uh, the Citadel and you begin to climb the Citadel and you look at the walls of the inside of the Citadel, there's all these white symbols all over the walls. They're remarkably similar to the shapes of Radiolarian silicate skeletons. So what that means, I do not know. Uh, but it sort of lends more. There's all these little like hints uh, and evidence to do these things. Uh, yay, I hope you learned things. Uh, or if you, did, <laughs> if you didn't, I hope you're inspired to go look up some of this stuff. Uh, uh, read about Mark Antony's Praetorian Guard and his relationship to Cleopatra. Or read about the Ishtar Terra on Venus. Uh, or the Knights Templar in Portugal. Or Radiolarians and silicates and i'll link that paper the uh quantum computing in a piece of glass that'll, that'll be important later when we talk about the glass throne and uh and even other things like how the the vault itself was created design wise there's tons of interviews about the vault i've got a bunch of notes on that and sort of the why it was created the way it was and what it means and uh, i mean i love talking about this topic it's it's one of my favorites and I think one of I think one of the, the my most favorite revelations so far uh, was from the last episode when we talked about how the the potential that the vault is different now for us than it was for Kaber and his team, and sort of what that potentially means for anybody who experiences the vault, uh, and how it makes that that past kind of unknowable. So you've got to start looking at all these other clues. About for about what really happened there, and it's unique because we we know like we know what happened uh, to uh, Eris and her fire team in great detail. I mean, there's some parts we don't know, uh, but nothing like like this, like the, the mysteries that exist here. Uh, and it's always fun to point out that you know Vault of Glass and Crota's End are the two raids in the game that we are following in somebody's footsteps. Uh, and then during the Taken King, we are the first people to do the thing. There was no team that came before us. Uh, so King's Fall and Wrath of the Machine are... we People will follow in our footsteps. I mean, arguably. Yeah, and there's, there's sort, of a, sort of a story change in between those two, where um, right around Taken King and, and then Rise of Iron, where they start recognizing us as the Guardian who is the the space badass. You know, oh, you're the person who killed Crota and killed Oryx. Why don't you go take care of this problem? Versus, you know, um, here, do do these missions, or maybe they don't even mention the Vault of Glass to us. 
Yeah. Also, since we're talking about like astrology and stars and depressing things, uh, shout out to this retweet by Gathalian. I know who that is. I'm not hip to a lot of the Destiny <laughs> community. Uh, he posted this amazing thing in his Twitter feed that says, "This is we talked about this earlier uh, at the pre-show." This is a super depressing thought. Uh, Colonists sent to other star systems would likely arrive and find humans of later generations already there because faster than light travel was discovered after they left. Oh man, speaking of Gathalian, um Put that in your time hole. Yeah. I don't know if you guys saw this. I posted this in Slackware. So, for those unfamiliar with Twitch, um, there's a thing called a, ironically, it's called a raid where after a streamer is done, they tell their viewers to go to some other channel. And uh, some of the, the most popular streamers streamers on in Destiny, um, which are, I think it was Gathalian, Professor Broman, T-Rex, Gunny, Derp, um, they were all playing together and said, let's take all of our viewers and find somebody who has currently less than 10 viewers and just raid them. And... <laughs> <laughs> they they broke their stream. I forget the the name of the person they sent them to. Got it here somewhere. Um. Yeah. So like, <laughs> they sent them to you know this this <laughs> this guy's stream stream and completely blew it up. His his stream totally crashed. Um. And he was catapulted to, you know, number one on the Destiny, the Destiny directory. Wow, that's uh, awesome. Sean Bartley was the name of the guy they chose. Um, Congratulations, Sean. Also, Luke Smith just posted three minutes ago, uh, 10 years working at Bungie, time flies, 11 days to the Destiny 2 reveal. Uh, hey, time, slow down a little bit. See you soonish. Now, we need to infer the meaning about time in that tweet. It's very important. <laughs> yeah, when, he's, when he says time slow down, does he then go to his own personal vault and, and twiddle the knobs? It's possible, but in the time that he spent developing Destiny 1, was Destiny 2 already made because the technology was better for people making games than when he started? According to the rumors that I've heard about the the, uh, the Destiny engine, that, that is possibly true. Oh, <laughs> see now I thought I'm just looking at this because Sean Bartley sounded familiar, and I know the guy. He actually did like the music and stuff at the last Guardian Con, and um, I thought he he was a little bit bigger streamer, but uh, apparently not. He's got a cool setup, and uh, I've watched him before. He's he's good to watch. I mean, he's got. He's got a lot of viewers or a lot of followers on Twitch or on Twitter. Well, he, he does now. Well, no, no, he had, I mean, he <laughs> no, had a lot of followers yeah, on Twitter no, no. before, I think. Yeah, yeah. That's. I think they chose him because they knew that um, if they did that to somebody who had no idea what was going on, um, that could end up badly. <laughs> yeah. Versus somebody who is already kind of familiar with him and go, oh, thanks, guys. You kind of understand it. Yeah, it looks like uh, they had him in tears. Man, it's crazy. 
Matt Oishi keeps making the most ridiculous gifts. Oh, did you see that one that I retweeted? <laughs> yes. And the one somebody just posted in response to Luke, the It's Happening one with Lord Saladin. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've seen that before. It's good. <laughs> Matt, you're a genius. We love you. Uh, He's got another one he did recently where, um, uh, oh, who is it? Uh, Shaq's in our, the new Crucible, or the new, no, uh, oh, I can't think of the name of her. Shiro? No, uh Ephrodite? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Ephrodite, they're standing there and somebody comes up and like scares her and she picks him up and just like tosses him <laughs> like, into the stratosphere. It's pretty funny. I'll have to find that one for you. But uh Yeah, he's been doing he's been doing a lot of good stuff and having a good time with it. He did a him and another another guy um did a whole bunch of animation for like a music video montage thing. That was really awesome. Uh, just uh, not too long ago, but definitely go check him out. We've been watching him a little closer now that we talk to him on the show, and and uh, it's pretty pretty fun to to see to see all these just the different community people, you know, slowly grow and and uh, just amazing i was talking about that the other day about uh like uh, baxter with the ishtar collective you know we talked to him early on in our in our show and yep. he had i mean i think like a week before we had him on the show he had just made like a twitter account for the ishtar collective or something or he had one and <laughs> didn't have anyone follow him now man everybody everybody knows it and everybody uses it even uh even back then bife wasn't even aware it was a thing, so it's pretty pretty awesome to see how far they've come because they've got a little podcast of their own they do and and uh, getting involved in a lot of other stuff. So it's it's pretty pretty cool. People in Slack are still arguing in the in the in the Vex channel. In the Vex, what are they arguing about? I'm I'm not even sure. I was I was trying to like not get pulled away from our discussion. <laughs> So, well, I guess that wraps it up then. Uh, man, it's, it's like you said, there's not a lot of, wasn't a ton of lore in this one, but so much background info, and again, shows how much thought and time went into the Vault of Glass, and, uh, and maybe gives everyone a little more idea of why we weren't as happy with some of the newer stuff as we, as everyone else might have been. Just it seemed, you know, could have been done a little differently or, or it just didn't seem like as much time and thought. But then again, you know, if if they were just trying to get some more content out there, they hadn't really planned for, you know, whereas the Vault of Glass, who knows how long they spent designing right. and making and well, writing that's the story. Thing. Like the, the Vault being the first raid, uh, potentially been development for a very, very, very long time. So it gives these ideas and divergent pathways and crazy conspiracies like a chance to really like uh mature and be explored and be implemented uh you know the 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 runway leading up to destiny one was very long uh and the the runway between that content and what was introduced in later expansions was very short you know i think they had they had the 
things planned through the Taken King. Uh, and then Rise of Iron represented sort of a, a more recent development in writing and implementation and things of that nature. So, and it shows, I mean, everything, they all have their own strengths and weaknesses, right? Uh, and you're not going to find this crazy depth, no pun intended, uh, like we find in the vault in some of the newer content. But also in the newer content, a lot of the gameplay mechanics have been super finely tuned. Uh, I mean, there's obviously still glitches here and there, but I think one of the, the big major positive things that people came out about uh, in like with Wrath of the Machine uh, and that raid is that it's fun. Like it's super fun. Like it's, it's like check, you know, check your overthinking at the door uh, and just go ride the giant machine that shoots flames and has metal guitar riffs and like have the really hone the mechanics down and give, and give people a super exciting and fun gameplay experience versus the sort of like crazy mind bending depth, the the cerebral studies that we do on some of the earlier content. So well with so luck, totally they won't leave that stuff behind though. You know, I mean I know they've we'll see. I'm I'm excited to see what happens with Destiny two and the reveals coming up. So that's uh that's gonna be an exciting time to to see what goes on with that. Just I mean, not a big reveal but you know, some gameplay stuff and people are going to get their hands on it. And so many people from the community got invites and are going to be there. So it's going to be awesome to see all the, all the chatter amongst the, the people. So, and it's nice too. It's nice that the, the community remains very diverse, you know, like the raid people will be interested in how the single player mechanic works out or the PVE mechanics work out, and then the Crucible guys will be looking at like how the guns felt and what the balance was like and any new mechanics that have been introduced that is going to change the way PvP plays out. No people investigating. I don't think we'll get anything heavy story-wise other than this sort of what they presented so far. Uh, but there'll be people analyzing you know, all those little tidbits as well, You're reading every piece of flavor text and stuff like that. So the, the community remains diverse in their interests, which is a good thing. Yep. Meanwhile, I'm like, can I can I decorate my armor more? Please. <laughs> what kind of is there, is there new emotes? <laughs> Did you guys see the, the picture of my Titan? Of your Titan? Yeah. yeah. The hideous oh. one? Yeah. You know, between between that and your teamer artifact, how do you even still have people to raid with? Um, a combination of making sure I'm fire team leader and doing <laughs> stripper raids, so they don't know what they're getting into. Cosmetrology. <laughs> All right. I just well, want to know how much I can customize. It's important. I'm a hunter at heart. If I don't look pretty, it's not worth it. Visible visible artifacts. Visible artifacts. Oh, that'd be amazing. Yes. Yeah. I want I want Nathan uh, Nathan Drake's shoulder harness that he keeps his little journal in, except it's gonna have the Bahanan Arata in it. Like a backpack? 
sorry, I had to say it. All right, that does it for this episode. Thanks, and you can uh, find us on Twitter and our website and... <laughs> and nowhere else. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> Facebook, I've been trying website. to keep up on there a little bit. Um, so, yeah, you know how to get us if you're here. If not, check the, uh, check the details of the show and check out all the cool stuff we've been talking about, and we will uh, pick this up next time and... Maybe we'll get a little further through the vault. I know, right? We're we're at the Templar as well. Congratulations. I mean, given what Cosmo said at the start of this episode, maybe it's not unusual that it would take somebody two and a half hours to get to the Templar <laughs> as well. But I mean, this is faster than my last vault attempt. Our pace with these episodes. So. <laughs> There's just also, a, I'm so, so much here. Uh, I'm sorry that I haven't been keeping up on our instagram page uh i got some plans for it coming up though so yay tough media is a tough medium for a podcast but (laughs) (laughs) Uh, don't worry we'll use it when we all cram into x-ray's closet to record our team episode together (laughs) wait you're (laughs) coming to missouri no way we're all gonna come to missouri well Uh, that's actually where Guardian Con actually just takes place in that closet now. And I don't know if they told you. I'll host it. <laughs> <laughs> My neighbors might get mad, but hey. No, because yeah, it's, it's soundproof. It's fine. Right. <laughs> All right. Know. Let's try this a third time. Let's try this third time. See you next time. Bye. This ending keeps looping back around on itself. Like a horizon. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> <Stay away. laughs> With many names. Oh no. Peace. <laughs> <laughs>